important is that next Sunday we won't be here. We have our chapel in the hills, just out of Littlehampton at Shady Grove, and the service will be there next Sunday, starting at 11.30, not 10.30, followed by a lunch. So if you'd like to bring something for lunch as well, bring a plate, that would be lovely. But uh, the service next Sunday, not here, only at Shady Grove. Also mentioning that for those who are interested in actively doing something to help the environment, we have bush care on Wednesday morning at Shady Grove, weather permitting, and that is a subject to the weather forecast. Also, we have mentioned before that the Terrace Singers concert is happening here on the 3rd of March, 12 noon on the 3rd of March. That's the same time, actually, as the Shady Grove service. But those who aren't going up to the hills can do something else instead and enjoy a wonderful singing concert here next Sunday uh, with a Broadway theme. Margaret is a heavily booked musician in the prime of her career and we do have an opening next Sunday and that's why she'll be conducting the choir here next Sunday. I should also mention, so Monday week, 4th of March, there is Coffee and Company. So what was the Ruggers group, people who love their craft, can meet here for conversation Monday week, that's 4th of March. People can bring their own craft to work on if they wish. Now, an event happening immediately is the interfaith gathering. These are being held more or less once a month and the one for February is this afternoon from 4 to 7pm at the Colebrook Reconciliation Park, Shepherds Hill Road, Corinna Reserve. It will be in the notices that in the email notice you received. But if you'd like to be there, um, uh, Alan Edwards Sr., a Ghana Cockatcher Elder, will be presiding. And it's a BYO picnic event. Uh, Whatever you need to sit on um, and uh, food and and drinks and so forth. But uh, you're welcome there. And also, I've been really encouraging people to a book for a public lecture by Professor Ilan Pape, an Israeli um, historian and political scientist. He's speaking at UniSA North Terrace campus on the 7th of March. Details are in the newsletter email that people get, but I'm hoping that we'll get quite a few people going along and maybe going out for a, a drink, coffee or whatever afterwards to review what we've heard, but it promises to be an outstanding presentation. New name badge order, if people weren't here last week, we're taking the opportunity while you're here. Perhaps I'll just leave this out the front for after the service uh, in case people remember. But if you'd like a badge, a lot of people have already recorded their preference for a a little name badge, one of those little horizontal badges with name and logo, That's, that's essentially it. I will leave that on the seat in front of the organ, which you can go to after the service. Also there are a number of bookmarks. We're really very pleased with the way these bookmarks have turned out. And as a bit of public activism, what was suggested to us, we know we have one uh, of our congregation who, when she returns library books, she leaves the bookmark in there for the next person to look at leaves them in the library. Um, People like bookmarks. So 
feel free to take some if you think you can use them and distribute a few. So they'll be on that seat next to the organ as well. Now, allow me to read this letter. For those of you who don't know, there are quite a few Unitarians in the UK, quite a few in the, in the USA, and of course various other countries around the world, quite a few in, in Czechia, uh, of all places. But the president of the US, Unitarian Universalists, as they call them over there, has written a letter to all of the Unitarian Universalist congregations, and we're on the list. Now, as a group, we are not bound, we are free and independent, just as you individually are not bound, you are free and independent individuals. However, she wrote this to all of the Unitarian Universalist congregations, and I thought it was suitable for us to hear as well. From the Reverend Dr. Sophia Betancourt. This is a terrifying moment for our fragile world. As Unitarian Universalists, we share a belief that every human life is sacred, with no person more deserving of freedom and flourishing than any other. This is why it was critical that your Unitarian Universalist Association has reaffirmed our condemnation of the Israeli military's ongoing violence against Gaza and join again with the growing chorus of voices across the globe urging immediate and total ceasefire. We offer prayers to all who are working to mitigate harm and stop the atrocities, and we urge Unitarian Universalists to listen deeply, especially to the voices of Palestinians whose lives and communities have been the vast majority of casualties of this war, and to think critically about the ways the United States is complicit in enabling this disaster to continue. With best wishes, Sophia's later. Let us have some music. Perhaps I'll leave that up there while Brendan and Grant play Here Comes the Sun. We gather together as a community and as part of our tradition we light the candle on this chalice. But we're not just a debating society or a cup of tea on Sunday mornings. We're people of a spiritual orientation coming together and there is something special and precious about a group of people caring and growing together. And now I'll invite Jenny up. She has a story for all ages. Curtin Krauss was a good child, the very goodest. He did everything he was told. He even did good things without being told. Curtin always ate his broccoli every single stalk, even though broccoli was his least favourite of all his least favourite vegetables. He washed his hands after every trip to the small room, and of course he always used soap. He didn't just wet his fingers under the tap like some people. <laughs> the dinner, that dinner time, Myrtle announced, Curtin doesn't like broccoli. I know that, said their mother, but he eats it anyway because he's always been the goody. And you don't because you're not, said their father. Neither of us are goodies. 
said Curtin. And neither of us are not goodies, said Myrtle. And people do not always have to eat broccoli when they hate it. <laughs> Quite right. No goodie would ever expect that. So they gave the broccoli to the rabbit instead. And the rabbit seemed to smile because it was very fond of broccoli. Curtin and Myrtle's parents decided to stop being disappointed because sometimes Myrtle was bad and occasionally she was very bad, but mostly she tried to be nice and that's the important thing. Trying is much better than not trying, don't you think? And sometimes Curtin was good and sometimes he was less good and occasionally he wasn't good at all. But his parents always appreciated it when he was. Being appreciated is very important, isn't it? And let's now gather together to share some joys and concerns. So I'll light the first candle. Now, I invite you to prepare to sing a hymn. It is good to sing together. And there should be some green books that have been handed around. We're going to sing all of hymn number 51 today. everyone and thanks for the flourish at the end. Uh, Jane, I invite you forward to read from the works of Krishnamurti. Some of Krishnamurti's thoughts on progress. We all want to become something. A pacifist, a war hero, a millionaire, a virtuous person or what you will. The very desire to become involves conflict, and that conflict produces war. There is peace only when there is no desire to become something, and that is the only true state, because in that state alone there is creation, there is reality. But that is completely foreign to the whole structure of society, which is the projection of yourself. You worship success. Your God is success, the giver of titles, degrees, position and authority. There is a constant battle within yourself, the struggle to achieve what you want. You never have a peaceful moment. There's never peace in your heart because you're always striving to become something, to progress. Do not be misled by the word progress. Mechanical things progress, but thought can never progress except in terms of its own becoming. Although Krishnamurti would not have called himself a Buddhist, his thoughts on becoming and progress and identity are very apt to what I have to say today. We're all here because we want to live well, 
And by that I don't mean materially well, although it's nice to live in a nice house and have plenty of things. I mean living well in the sense of living with wisdom and compassion. As far as possible, being at peace with the world and within ourselves. The Eightfold Path is an approach to living. It's based on the foundational realization of the Buddha, the Four Noble Truths. In the realm of existence, there is suffering. The causes of suffering can be determined. It's possible to bring suffering to an end. And there is a path one can follow to bring that suffering to an end. So how does one bring suffering to an end? The Eightfold Path. Let's always remember that we're dealing with translations of what was written by disciples of the Buddha nearly 2,500 years ago. So there's scope for some variation in the language that we use to describe the Buddha's concepts. Today we're here to shine a light in the direction of the path which many have travelled over the centuries and which will be travelled by many in the future. But I know our minds like this sort of thing. A list. Let us start with a list. Right view, right intention or resolution, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. Now, importantly, this is not intended to represent a sequence of steps to follow. The Eightfold Path has famously been represented as the eight spokes of a wheel because one works on every aspect at the same time and success in any one aspect reinforces success in every other aspect. We can, however, categorise these aspirations into three groups. Right view and right intention are foundational. They represent why we have our particular approach to life. Right speech, right action, right livelihood can be thought of as moral instruction. Not commandments, but thoughts on how to live virtuously, living in a way that minimises harm to others and maximises the help and love we give to others. Right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration are what we can do as we apply ourselves to live the virtuous life. It's all very well to have a, a car to drive to the Unitarian Meeting House on a Sunday morning, for example, but if we pay no attention to the car itself, it needs charging or it needs fuel, it needs tyres, then we end up not going anywhere. So we need to pay attention to how we apply the vehicle. Let's go back to considering the right view, what one could call right understanding. The Four Noble Truths are a starting point. If you want to be free from anxiety, and we all have anxiety, then we must ask, where does that come from? What is it that we're craving? What is it that we're after that we're not getting? And why do we have that craving? What is it that we want? Or what is it that we don't have that we seem to need? Your framework for viewing the world has a profound impact on how you experience loss and suffering. You are not just a surfboard bobbing up and down on the waves. You are the person 
on the surfboard and what you do has an impact on where you go. Usually you can trace back anxiety to one of two things. Either sensual desire, some thing we want to do or have, or a conception of a particular identity that we have about ourselves. We tell ourselves we want to become successful as a certain kind of person. It might relate to a particular occupation, a particular relationship, or in some way wanting the approval of others. We could tell ourselves that we want to be the best at something, or we could tell ourselves that we are a victim of something. Maintaining any of these self-images takes energy and creates anxiety. And, of course, people can say superficially, well, I don't want to suffer, of course, I don't, I don't want to be, uh, I'm not a victim. But if we look at how many people relate to others in the world, it seems that many people do take on that victim identity. One can see immediately that a scrupulous honesty and self-examination is required. If you understand what's causing anxiety in your life and you're committed unreservedly to letting go of what causes that anxiety, you need to be honest about the effect of your actions upon others and yourself. Are we really prepared to give up some of the petty satisfactions of the ego which get in the way of our real liberation? We all know that there's a certain satisfaction of the ego at giving the finger to another motorist on the road, somebody who's just cut us off, or slamming the door to express our displeasure. But none of these actions really free us from the source of the anxiety. That's within our mind. And it's not to say that we should never express ourselves when we're unhappy with the bad behaviour of others. The point is that we have to be scrupulous in looking at our own responses to understand the cause of our behaviour. Right speech. The meaning is fairly obvious, perhaps. To start with, speaking only honesty. Honest speech, though, can be brutally hurtful. So one must be careful. Courteous speech is good. One can express even refusal or displeasure without ever making it a personal attack on the other. Now, recall one case of courteous speech taken to extreme. I was, having, I was having dinner late one night in a restaurant on the River Nile with a prince and a number of others, as you do. And you know, you know the, the Middle Eastern setup, that big round table, dishes everywhere full of food. And I remember offering a dish to the prince who was on the other side of the table. And his response was, much obliged. And I'd never really heard that used before. So I said, would you like some of this? And not sure if he understood the language. And he said, much obliged. What I think of as a perfectly English manner. But anyway, it was a princely manner. The, the point is, he wouldn't say no for fear of offending. He didn't want the dish that was offered. And his answer literally indicated that he felt obligated to recognise my kindness in offering the dish. Much obliged. So he was really just saying what we say in Australia. No thanks. So 
maybe that's going too far, but the point is to avoid offence whenever reasonably possible. Those of you who were here last week might remember what the author of the letter from James said in the Bible. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. A great forest can be set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. I admit that in my other workplace, where I do more worldly work than I do here, I confess there have been times when I've been blunt or even severe in my remarks about the shortcomings of employee performance. Now, in some situations, honesty is required, and it's bound to cause some distress. Sometimes it is required, but the point is that if you realise that distress may be caused, it needs the greatest care. Let's consider the amount of time we spend in pointless grumbling, mouthing off about our preoccupations. Now, some degree of chatter is healthy in order to maintain a friendly, caring social environment. So I certainly don't want to discourage people from having a good chat over tea and coffee after this morning's service. We do that and we enjoy it and it's a good, healthy thing. The point is to be mindful of how we use our speech. And of course, right speech goes beyond just avoiding hurtful language. Our communication with others is an opportunity to bring encouragement and blessings into the world. We have the ability to heal others to ease their suffering through our speech. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Good tests for what we have to say. When I was a somewhat misanthropic teenager, a phase I was going through for about 30 years, <laughs> at one point I was so disdainful of ordinary social chatter that when people said good morning to me at high school, I would simply pass by thinking how superficial. They're not really wishing me a good morning. I didn't have many friends at the time, I must admit. <clears throat> and I have come to appreciate that a certain amount of social lubrication is a healthy and good thing. One slide that I have presented here is just to reinforce those questions. Is it true? Is it not true? Is it beneficial or not? And will it be accepted? So it's that question of whether it's necessary to say something is about whether it's the right time and place to make that comment. If you want to see right action, certainly the Buddha explained that in great detail. And he highlighted three actions to avoid. Killing, stealing and fornicating. I should point out that the best translation I could find from the Pali where these things were written down in relation to the third of those is rather do not exploit your passions. But most people have taken that as fornication. I guess it's the first thing people think of. And I must also stress that the Buddha wasn't coming out with prohibitions. He wasn't coming out with thou shalt not. But he certainly was explaining that if you let your passions run freely and indulge 
in the tendency to do these things, there will be consequences and they will not be healthy. They will not allow you to progress to enlightenment. If you want to see a slightly longer version of the same rules, uh, you can have a look at what Moses came up with when he took those tablets. <clears throat> so, you've seen them all before. I just want to say one more thing about fornication, and that is, especially these days, let's say, post-1960s, a lot of people might say, well, you know, what's wrong with a bit of fornication, a bit of fooling around? But there are plenty of examples where you can think of sexual relations which can result in hurt or even trauma. Adultery, sex with people who aren't fully able to consent at that time, and the list goes on. The real challenge is always to understand the motivations behind such actions. Do they stem from lack of respect for others? Do they stem from indulging in our desires? I think as we contemplate that, we'll hear some interlude music within you, without you, as we have an opportunity to reflect on our desires, our respect for others, and our motivations. sense going through a list, even though I said it's not actually like a list. It's more like spokes on the wheel. But we were up to right livelihood. 
Now, I won't say much about this, not just because most of you are retired, but, it, but, but because mo it should be fairly obvious. Um, the point is not to engage in work which may diminish another person's health or self-respect or consciousness. So if you avoid dealing in drugs or doing violent things for a living, you're probably going to be okay. The point is, once you've chosen an occupation, whether it be at home or outdoors or in the office, then it is a matter of carrying out your duties with right speech and right action. The last three spokes of the wheel, effort, mindfulness, concentration, go together in a way. They all relate to how you apply yourself to the life you lead, what you do in order to make progress. Even if you have a clear understanding of the world and yourself, you agree that it is right to ensure your speech and actions are beneficial. Are you really making enough effort? It's certainly not enough to say, well, I go to the Unitarian Meeting House every Sunday morning, or I go to church every Sunday morning. Of course, the effort is required much more than this. In fact, the goal is to be conscious throughout the day of how we are carrying out our duties, how we are not only interacting with others, but how we are dealing with our own thoughts that are constantly emerging. There are a couple of techniques which can help. Before you go into a conversation or a planned activity, you can mentally prepare yourself and have a firm intention to speak well and do well by others and yourself. Correspondingly, after a conversation or an activity, you can take a moment to reflect on your contribution. Was it as beneficial as it could be? Were you as positive and energetic as you could be? And if not, why not? Perhaps there's some internal problem, a blockage, an anxiety that you can reflect upon and resolve. Most of you, but perhaps not all of you, would remember what bookends are. L-shaped little structures that could stand on either side of a row of books on the shelf so they don't fall over at the end. These days they might be a historical relic. I must say, when we purchased an apartment, the real estate agent told us that the previous owners had had a massive bookcase on the wall, but they'd told them to rip it out. A wall full of books! She was uh, quite... Uh, disdainful, and uh, didn't realise that the first thing we did would be to put up bookcases for all of our books. So I'm sure most of you can appreciate what bookends are. But this is a metaphor for previewing and reviewing our conversations and activities. Now, one thing that comes up about Buddhism, if we're constantly reviewing our desires and anxieties and so on, does it mean that the goal is to be unemotional? And I would say, no, not at all. The point is to recognise the emotions we have. Where do they come from? How do we deal with them? How do we get to be at peace, regardless of what those feelings are? Maybe in the future we get to a point where we don't have such strong emotional reactions to things that happen in the world around us or emerge from within us. But for the time being, it can cause as much of a problem to try and block out feelings as it can be to just let them loose.
talking about being present with people, mindfulness. I must say, for some people, it's like there's a little tape recorder inside their head. And when they're talking to someone who mentions a particular topic, they have a story. They have some memory about that topic. And it's like a little click on the play button and they come out with their story. And it's usually that they've done something bigger, longer, better, whatever. When that happens, it's an example of not really being present. It's an example of not really being mindful. So when we talk about mindfulness, it's not uh, drifting off into outer space. It's actually being fully present and authentic with people. It reminds me a bit of the time that I was on a parliamentary committee and I was sitting there reading the newspaper through the proceedings and a member of parliament next to me, no friend of mine, uh, facetiously said to me, you must be very smart, you can read the paper and listen to what's going on at the same time. And without looking up I said, no, I only do one thing at a time, but I'm able to alternate my attention very quickly from one thing to the other. Yeah, he didn't appreciate it. <laughs> Look, I've been going on for a while now, probably stretching the limits of your mindfulness. So let me just uh, mention that final spoke, even though it's not a list. Right concentration. In a technical sense, this refers to the ability during meditation, or maybe in life generally, to be 100% focused on a single point. It may be an external point, such as a dot of light or a candle or an icon, or it may be something internal, an image in the mind or even a concept. But in everyday times, it's closely aligned to mindfulness, being present and authentic with people, without being dragged into the recesses of our own mind with our own neuroses, our own anxieties. Once again, I'll say that all of the eight paths are connected. They reinforce each other. So if one is able to bring oneself fully present to a situation, it's more likely that there will be right speech and right action. If one practices right speech and right action, one's life will be less cluttered with problems and anxieties, allowing greater mindfulness and concentration, let's say, on higher things. Now, in relation to all of these last three paths, these spokes of the wheel, effort, mindfulness and concentration, I must say meditation helps. And it's one reason why we've introduced a meditation class here once a month. The thought of coming along... Oh, sorry, wrong slide. <coughs> yes. Uh, that's, that's it. So we, we run a meditation class here once a month, and although the thought of coming along and doing nothing for an hour might not seem all that exciting, uh, it is relaxing at the very least, good for the health, for those interested in developing these healthy behaviours to which I've been referring. Meditation is very useful indeed. If you're not comfortable with the idea of sitting in a chair, let alone cross-legged, uh, on, a, on a floor or a cushion, then probably the next best thing is experience of nature. Walking through the bush, sitting in the garden, sitting watching the sea. It all helps. So, your homework this week is at least once a day to reflect on the conversations and activities you've had that day. 
Have you been as beneficial as you could be in those activities, those interactions? Can you go for a week with nothing but right speech and right action? We hope you've enjoyed this Expanding Horizons podcast. These podcasts are the intellectual property of the presenter. They can be used only with the express permission and appropriate acknowledgement of the presenter. This permission can be obtained by emailing admin at unitariansa.org.au. Please feel free to leave a comment or visit us on Facebook or Twitter by searching SA Unitarians or by visiting our website at unitariansa.org.au.